Luke 10, 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Thanks, Anderson. Appreciate you. Good morning again. You know, it's the little things in life that matter, right? I mean, good grief. And I should have said this last week, but it, it hit me again today that we were getting to use authentic matzah crackers. And, I, you know, I mean, it was so much better than the styrofoam, whatever that's we've been doing for a year. Anybody with me? I mean, that matzah, it tasted like artisanal bread or something, you know. I mean, it was so good. And then I felt like a sommelier when the cup came by. <laughs> I was like, ooh, this is a December 2020 Welch's, you know? I mean, it was, it was nice. I mean, it was cold. It didn't taste like it had been a box forever. So anyway, it's the little things that matter, church, right? So anyway, all right, sorry, just that's a little insight into my head there. But uh, glad that y'all are here. We are kind of in the last 50 yards of this, of this series that we've been calling Living the Way of Jesus where we've been talking about what it looks like to be disciples, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And this is a series that I hope you don't feel like is like one of those things, and it shouldn't be a one and done, or this is week 10, a 10 weeks and done. My prayer for this series has been that this launches us into a new focus as a church, a new shift for as a, as a church, or a reminder of who we're supposed to be. That we are a people that are called to look and act and be like Jesus. And today we're going to finish this series up, but it's not the finish line as much as it is, I hope, a starting line that we can continue to walk in these ways. But I know I'm taking a little bit of a risk with the what we're going to finish with this morning. How we're going to round this out isn't going to be a review, but it's going to be something that is foundational to the other nine lessons that we've had on this topic. But I'm a little afraid because it could, I feel like today that it could end up a little bit like this. I'm excited about finishing up this, this series, but I think it could kind of go a little bit like this Oregon uh, long distance runner as he is in front of his hometown crowd at Tracktown USA. And here's what happens at the end of the race. Yeah, yeah, woo, yeah, I'm winning. Nope. He gets picked by Marin Simon of Washington. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about this last one. Because I'm excited. I'm like, yes, we're talking about living the way of Jesus. But I feel like this lesson could derail the whole thing. And here's why it could derail the whole thing. This is one of those things that when we hear from Jesus, and the scripture we're going to hear today, just to set you up for this, is one of those messages that's like, yeah, that is inspiring Jesus, and I want that, 
And we kind of raise our hands and we raise the roof like the organ runner. And then we walk outside here and the world runs right by us. And we go, eh, I don't know how to really do that. So that's where we're getting into today. We're going to talk about something difficult. It's an invitation to go beyond Sundays. It's a call today to do something. And so we're going to begin with this tough question that I want all of you to think about how you would personally answer this question. What is the greatest challenge or obstacle in your life to living like Jesus? In other, way, what's, in other words, what's the barrier? What's the thing that continues to keep you where you are? Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a struggle. I asked this on Facebook this week. Uh, I think on Thursday, and I received over 40 comments of people who were honest and open. I loved the comments. So much goodness. Things ranged from fear to being unsure about their identity to worrying about themselves to things that were pretty deep into people's own life. A lot of people mentioned their schedule. A lot of people mentioned selfishness. So what would you say? How would you answer that this morning? I won't call on anybody. But what would you say? What is the greatest obstacle to you taking a deeper step, a next step, a further step into living like Jesus? You know, I tried to think about what would other groups of people say. I think Christian researchers would probably point to, well, culture's changing. So the greatest obstacle facing Christianity today is culture and the shifts that are happening. And there's some truth to that. Others might say uh, news stations are going to tell us that it's another political party that's causing the decline of Christianity. Some churchgoers might even say that it's, it's change agents in the church and we're just not who we used to be. And some of those answers could have some truth to them. But what I want you to consider this morning is what if it's just actually so much more simple than that? Christian author John Ortberg tells this great story. I don't know if it's in any of his books, but I've heard him tell this story of the early days when he was in friendship with the philosopher and UCLA professor and writer Dallas Willard, who I love Dallas Willard. If you've ever heard me speak for any amount of time, I quote Dallas Willard all the time. But he was on the phone with Dallas one day and he was at a point in his life where he just needed some advice, some comfort. He needed to reach out to that older Christian and get some mentorship. So he got on the phone and he asked Dallas, he said, what do I need to do to not feel burnt out and worn out and just like I'm going through the motions? See, at the time, Ortberg had become pretty famous. He had a couple Christian bestsellers, The Life You've Always Wanted. If you want to get out of the boat, you have to, or if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. That was his second book. And he was preaching and teaching at the largest Christian church in America at the time. His schedule was crazy. And so he asked this question in Dallas, what do I need to do to handle this crazy life I'm living? I'm paraphrasing his question. And he tells a story that there was just this long pause on the phone. This long pause. Dallas Willard was famous for not doing anything in a hurry. The pause was so long that John Ortberg started to think that Dallas had hung up on him or that he had lost the connection. 
So right before he was about to say, you still there? Dallas said this. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of your spiritual life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So Ortberg, you know, he's on the phone with his mentor, so he's got a notebook right there, and he writes it down really fast. He just makes this quote, writes that down, and, and in response, he goes, that's amazing. And he follows it up, and he goes, well, what else do I need to do? Just like most of us would do, right? Okay, how do I do that? I need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. What do I need to do? And there's this other long pause as the story goes. And Dallas says, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. So there's a lot of obstacles and there's a lot of challenges to us living the life of Jesus. But the greatest challenge to us living the life of Jesus is not something outside of us. It's something inside of us. It's something inside every one of us. It's probably really can be boiled down to the simplicity of we are unwilling to get quiet in the presence of God. That we aren't seeking margin, space. God created time to be in awe, to be with him. I struggle with my identity in Christ because why? I don't spend enough time with him. I struggle with fear. Why? Because I don't spend enough time the one in, who, in whose presence says, do not fear, right? I struggle with not knowing enough about my faith in the Bible. Why? Because I don't spend time in the space between the text and the Holy Spirit working, right? So I want to go to a passage that's familiar to all of us. And I want to remind us of something in here or maybe challenge us with something we've never heard out of Matthew 11. This is the first gospel in your New Testament. And Matthew has this great invitation by Jesus. At this time in Jesus' ministry, he says this, Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary. Try to imagine Jesus inviting you to this. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so in Matthew 11 Jesus here invites us to this this beautiful wonderful almost mind-blowing invitation I want you to hear it out of another version out of the message this paraphrase by Eugene Peterson he says it this way just to kind of get this in your head are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us 
are right now or just coming out of or know we're about to head into a season of being tired and worn out or even burnt out on religion. That idea of being burdened, heavy and burdened, is the idea of Jesus saying religion is wearing you out. That's the context. You don't have to show your hands, but right, all of us, right, would probably raise our hands. That we're worn out, we're overworked. And, and to me, I've got to admit, this is one of those passages that I love that to my modern ears, I want to go, yes, I love this, but at the same time, because of the way I do things and the way my brain works, this almost sounds too good to be true. Anybody with me? Oh, Jesus, you offer this life? But I really haven't ever accepted that kind of life, right? Oh, Jesus has this great invitation, but I don't have a clue what it looks like. Man, Tim, your words about communion are exactly how I feel about this passage. This is a passage I know, but I feel like I don't understand, right? That I've got some growing to do. So I want to unlock this passage a little bit, just really quick, because this passage, if we start to understand Jesus' invitation, has the potential to unlock a whole new level of discipleship for you. A whole new level of, here's what Jesus calls me to do. And it all has to do with, with that yoke. Not the yoke and the egg, but the, yo the yolk, but the yoke, right? Jesus, of course, loves agricultural metaphor, so he uses a farming metaphor here. And most of us in here know that a yoke is a, an instrument to put over two animals, either oxen or donkey, so that they can pull a heavier load, that they can work together in teamwork, a pair of oxen, a pair of do donkeys, so they can pull a plow or pull a cart. It always, though, and that's Jesus' point, requires two. Now, I think for the most of my life, I always imagined Jesus inviting me to carry his yoke, almost like I would imagine a backpack full of rocks. Like I'm carrying around something really heavy and it's weighing me down and my life is burdened and I'm overstressed and overworked. And Jesus goes, come to me. And he takes a few rocks out and he replaces it with gravel and it's just a little better so I can walk a little better, right? I've always imagined it that way. Anybody with me? I've imagined it where it's an individual pursuit. But that's not the context. What Jesus is inviting us to, what is so good about this, and this is what Dallas Willard calls it, to quote him, is he says, there's a secret to the easy yoke. Jesus is not taking a heavy burden off of you just to give you a smaller yoke that's yours to carry. What he is envisioning is that we get next to him. He's already got half the yoke on his neck. And the invitation is, come and take up the other half and learn to walk with me. Notice the way I go through life. Walk with me, the way I interact with people, the way that I treat people, the way I love my enemies. As Tim mentioned, his forgiveness, all that stuff. You see the difference? I've always thought about it as, it's still on me. No, that's not his invitation. The invitation is walk with Jesus. We get to walk beside him. Willard goes on to say this, this invitation is to learn the pace of Jesus. Adopting all of it 
He says not, not just some teaching or thoughts or some knowledge about Jesus, but his invitation in Matthew 11 is to take on Jesus' yoke to begin to live the entirety of the life of Jesus. His way, his thoughts, his philosophies, his habits, his teachings. Or as we said it 10 weeks ago as we opened up this series, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And I think primarily today, out of all the ways we could take this lesson out of Matthew 11, for us, what we need to learn is this rhythm of Jesus. Look at the rhythm of Jesus in three chapters in succession in the Gospel of Luke. We are told by the narrator, by the writer Luke, this. At daybreak, Luke 4, 42a, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Why? What's he doing out there? He's with God, right? Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then again in Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying with God. See, Jesus was busy, but he wasn't in a hurry. And he was never so busy that space with God took a back burner. And I wonder if that's the key or the missing piece or the missing part of most churches. Why don't we have more people involved? Why don't we reach out? Why don't we have more evangelism happening? Maybe it's not because we're not training people. Maybe it's because we're not spending time in the presence of God. Jesus did everything in response to what he experienced by making margin and space for the Lord, his time with God. You see, the great danger, and you guys really lean in with me on this, because this is so true about me, about all of us. The great danger for most of us is not that we will reject the Christian faith, but that because we're so busy, we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Right? Yeah, wait, that's so true, it's almost hurtful, right? The truth is, though, when you make space for God, and I believe this 100%, if you give time to God, if you give space to God, what's he do? He will fill it, right? Give God 10 minutes of, of uninterrupted attention, and I believe he will, he will find a way to fill it, right? He will find a way. Slow down, get quiet. And God will meet you there. Jesus said it, ask, seek, and knock. And what will you find? Seek and you will find, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Because God is a space filler, but we've got to give him space. So let me pick on everybody for a second. Because margin is one of the things that we just don't have, do we? Anybody really just like, man, I've just got too much time on my hands. Anybody in here, right? Oh, Lee, I just wish, I wish there was something to do, right? Let's just talk about our phones for a second to think about how much margin we have sucked out of our lives. I'm gonna pick on everybody and I don't wanna make anybody feel guilty because I'm just as guilty as anybody else. A lot of you this morning, if you have the notification live on your iPhone, got a, got a little notification, told you how many hours you spent per day on your phone last week. 
Anybody love getting that thing and you're like, oh my goodness, right? It's kind of a scary thing. But here, here's some stats for you about this guy. The average American now taps or swipes their phone, taps or swipes their phone 2,617 times a day. Teenagers, you almost double that. Teenagers ages 14 up through young adults average almost 5,000 taps or swipes a day. You think it's so important that teenagers see each other's Snapchat? I've seen you guys go through Snapchat. All you're doing is going. You're not looking at your friend's pictures. You just want to keep your streak alive, hypocrites. You know what I'm talking about, (laughs) right? Oh, you guys like that, don't you? Love you guys. Just making fun of you a little bit. So 2,617 times a day, guys. We average now 150 unlocks of our phone a day. There's one. I just smiled at my phone. Anybody have faith when you have the face thing? Do you guys smile at it every time? I do. I'm like, it's looking at my face, right? 150 times a day we do that. 25% of us now wake up in the middle of the night to check notifications on our phones. And then finally, we're now using our phones 20% more than we were just six years ago in 2015. Isn't that crazy? Now, that's just stats on phone use, but it shows us something important. I'm not trying to pick on people because I'm just as bad. But it shows us the little margin that we used to have is now filled with this. I'm in the waiting room. I'm, in my, I'm waiting in the car for somebody to go get something. I've got a little downtime. What do we do? We're really good at this, man. If we lived in the Old West, nobody could stop us, right? <laughs> right, we'd be so quick, right? That's what we do. Now, I, don't, I know you don't wanna hear that. I know that we don't like talking about that. But we don't have margin. So it's important for us to know this and it's because it's important for how we respond to that. Because our over-busy lives is not neutral to what it's making us become. Our phones are not neutral. Your TV habit is not neutral, right? The way you fill space in your life is not neutral. It's taking you somewhere. Hurry. Ruth Haley Barton says, hurry is destructive to your very soul. So I want you to take a quiz with me here. And I'll give you, I'll be the one to admit how many of these on the quiz, I also do. So what I'm gonna give you is 10 signs you don't have enough space for God in your life or margin uh, in your life. And just mentally check off how many um, this applies to you or elbow somebody next to you if, you if you're like, if you don't see your spouse checking it off, give them a little, that's one, you know? <laughs> do that for them. Here's, here's, the top, here's the 10 reasons you, or top 10 signs You don't have enough margin in your life. Number one, irritability. You're just frustrated, right? You're irritable. Things kind of set you off. Number two goes along with that. You're easily offended. We're more easily offended when we're not not centered in our identity in Christ than we are anywhere else, right? You're easily offended. Number three, you're restless. When there is downtime, there's just like you feel like you gotta do something, right? That's why church attendance, I think, is down more than it's ever been is because not because people uh, 
can't come to church, it's because when they have an actual open weekend that they could come to church, they fill it with something else because we're a restless people. Oh, we don't have anything going on with the kids. Let's go do something else, right? Number four, compulsive overworking. No space? I gotta go to the office. Golly, I'm bad at that one, right? I'm like, well, I don't have much to do around the house. Better go to the office, right? I have woken up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep and come up here at 3 a.m. to work, okay? Compulsive a little bit, Jake? Woo, all right? Number five, I'll stop talking about myself. Numbness to God. Well, I just don't get anything out of my, out of my time with God anymore. Talk about that one a little more. It's number six, escapism. That's, that's phone. I don't know what to do with my, I don't know what to do, I'm gonna go to my phone. I feel a little awkward right now, I'm gonna go to my phone. I don't know what to do, I'm gonna watch three hours of TV, whatever it might be. Number seven, lack of purpose or identity. Like, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Number eight, inability to serve and use gifts. Like, I don't feel like I'm part of the church family. I don't have a place to serve in this. Maybe that's connected to you're not spending enough time with God. I believe God is a sender, right? If you spend time with him, he will send you. Number nine, you hoard energy. You say no to a lot of things you probably should say yes to, so you're kind of keeping on to stuff because you feel like life is out of control. And then, number, of course, number 10 is you've noticed a slippage of time with God. So how'd you do? I'm a five out of 10 guy. I'll give you that right now. I made a 50. It's a really bad grade. <laughs> Zero is the best you can do, right? I don't know what you were. Two, three, five, seven, nine. I don't know what you were, but I'm a five out of 10 guy because I think we can all admit that we need margin. God has invited us to this beautiful life. John 10, 10, life to the full, a life of joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit as Paul says it. But if you want it, if you want that kind of Jesus life, it's not that you go out and grab it. What you do is you learn to make yourself available to it. I don't go grab the yoke. I get myself in the space with Jesus so I can receive the yoke. You see that? I don't go grab it. I receive it. Just like we don't take communion, we receive it. It's a gift. So I want to show you this morning three ways to get yoked. Let's get yoked. Coach Cav, let's get him yoked, right? <laughs> All right, so we're going to get yoked this morning. And these are really practical. How can we create space in our life? Well, it starts with creating order. Creating order. Not just believing you have order. I think Christians really struggle with the idea of they believe God comes first in their life versus actually having God come first in their life. So what comes first? What's important? What takes priority? Do you have a rule of life? A rule of life. I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. However you say that, it's true that if you don't have priorities, everything in your life will slowly become equal. And just like Dash said in the first in Pixar Incredibles movie, if everybody's special, that means nobody's special. And if everything is equal in your life, everything gets equal status in your life, guess what? Nothing is special. So have you ever sat down and thought about what is non-negotiable? 
What is the space that God gets and nothing else does? What is my actual first priority? Now, I know we don't like the word order, create order, or we don't like the word that Christians have used for thousands of years, creating a rule of life. We're averse to that word. We don't like the, ugh, it sounds stifling, right? It sounds constricting. But here's a way to think about order or rule. While the word doesn't appear in the New Testament, the Greek word for rule is the word for trellis. It's the word trellis, where we get the idea of creating a framework that a vine can grow up and become fruitful. Isn't that beautiful? It's the idea of I want order in my life. I've got things that come first, and then there's things that are a far second, third, and fourth. God is one, and then everything else is down here, and I'm gonna give him space. That creates rule that God can get in there and the vine can grow. It makes John 15, five really, really, really clear, doesn't it? Jesus says, I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me, spend time with me, have space for me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Order is essential. Discipline may be a dirty word. Rule may be a dirty word, but it is essential to growth. Henry Nouwen said it this way. He said, discipline in sports is the concentrated effort to master the body so that it can obey the mind better. Discipline in the spiritual life is the concentrated effort to create space and time where God can become our Lord and master and where we can then freely respond to God's lead. Ooh, that's so good. It's a framework. It's a trellis. Bible study doesn't change you. Prayer doesn't change you. But those places are framework to open your life up to the Holy Spirit. Time with God is framework to open yourself up so that the vine can grow, the branches can produce fruit. But in order for us to get order, and for order us to get yoked with Jesus, to come up under and accept that yoke, we have to have order. We have to say, I want that. I have to choose Jesus. But in order for, to choose Jesus, we've got to learn to say no, guys. Thank you, David. <laughs> You've got to say no. If you're like me, you don't like to be told no, right? We don't like being told what we can do and what we can't do. But one of the things that we are addicted to is we are addicted to busyness. We're addicted to fill full schedules. We're addicted to doing, addicted to going, addicted to making sure that people think we're busy because we're busy. But we need to hear this. Man, God created us in his image. And God is unlimited. But at the same time of creating us in his image, he created us out of dirt. The finite and humanity is joined with the infinite. And if you're like me, you think you're infinite sometimes. You think you can fill your schedule up and just do it all. Corey Ten Boom, uh, man, read her, she's awesome. She says this, she said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just simply make you busy. <laughs> wow, such truth to that. 
Sin and busyness have the same effect, church. They both disconnect you from God. Saying yes to God then means if I come up under that yoke that I learn to say no to something else and may God give us the wisdom to know not what is just good for us, but what is best for us. Amen? And then number three, if you want to get yoked, you got to get some order in your life. And I'm tired of people doing the order thing of, yeah, if I'm in Bible class, I'm going to say God's number one. It doesn't matter if you say God's number one if you can't do number three, if you can't practice it. It's practice, practice, practice. And that's where we began this series, and it's where we finish it up. The whole Christian life is about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. They do it. They are like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So today, take this as good news. You may need to just start today with giving God five minutes Space, that short commute in Canadian. My life, my, my life as a minister has gotten shorter every place I've moved for, for commutes, right? It was about 30 minutes, then it went down to about 20 minutes, and now it's like two and a half. It's awesome, right? So my commute's not the best space, but yours, it may be that you have to drive a ways. Maybe that's your space. Turn that off. Maybe it's just that you need to start and that's great. Or maybe that you just need to restart. Maybe today's the day to go, you know what? I want to get serious about creating margin. Or maybe it's that you need to just take it to the next level today. And that's wonderful as well. What I want to challenge everybody with is just to simply start somewhere. Begin to give God space, scripture prayer, fasting, solitude. May I suggest silence, a lot of silence. And I want you to imagine what would happen in a church family if an entire church family began to live out that rhythm of grace that was in the message version walking beside Jesus, centered on him, not wanting somebody else to inspire them or somebody else to drag them along, but instead, we all go to the source and we're spending time with God. What would happen if this church family set as their highest priority each day space with God? What if our non-negotiable was simply that? Time with God and time with brothers and sisters. Let's reverse the thinking a little bit. A lot of us about church attendance, about the life of Jesus, we kind of got into this thinking, this philosophy that goes a little bit like this, and I may be a little off here, so give me some grace. But we kind of think like this right now in American Christianity. God loves me so much, which is true, but we kind of turned God's love into cheap grace. We believe that God kind of is like this. God loves me so much that I know he's patient with me and understands all my failings and my bad priorities. He loves me so much that I know he's not going to condemn me for missing church or not using my gifts to serve others. It's kind of our philosophy right now in American Christianity, right? 
Let's reverse that. That's cheap grace. What if instead we started to say, God loves me so much that in his grace, I am getting on my knees and falling on my face and wanting nothing more than to spend time with him and see where he sends me next. How about we reverse that? It's not a big deal. I don't go to Bible class. God loves me anyway. Maybe it is. It's not a big deal that I don't do this or that or this church. I don't really use my gifts in this church. Maybe it is because God is calling you to something bigger and greater that we will never experience unless we ask, seek, and knock and accept the yoke of Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you a challenge. Not going to be hard on you because this, I'm starting to learn, is not up to me. You can respond to this sermon however you want. I personally am going to respond to it by getting more serious about where my well is. And I cannot drink from Jake's well anymore. It's about that deep. <laughs> it's a mile wide and an inch deep. But God's well, getting time with him, being with him, man, it's bottomless. And I'm going to go to that well. So you respond however you want. But here's the challenge I would like us all to play a part in. And it has to do with this guy. Let's, this may not be where it takes up your margin, but this is on the app. Ironically, it's on your phone that you'll need to read more about it on your phone. But it's on the app under Sundays, Living the Way of Jesus for this week. But here's my challenge. Let's all take up a phone-free day this week. One full day where this thing is powered off and you don't touch it and see what happens with your life. Who's excited about that? Can we do that? Two or three of you, can you join me? <laughs> can we do that? Imagine that. Well, I don't know if we could survive. Humanity is still here because people survived without this at one point. Got news for you. Can you imagine one day? Now, for some of us, you may be like, man, I never pick it up. I hate the thing anyway. Pick something else. You got something else taking up margin in your life? Get rid of that for a day. Pick a day this week and simply just say, you know what? I'm gonna turn that off. I'm not gonna look at it. I'm not gonna tap it. I'm not gonna touch it. And in that space that I've created, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Can we do that? We didn't burst out into spontaneous applause. Yes, Jake, we're excited about putting our phones down, right? Thank you. All right, that was, that's, it's forced, the moment's over, don't do it, all right? <laughs> Can't do it now. But I wanna challenge you to that. Tell your friends, tell your life group what day you're gonna do. Encourage each other in that. Join me, I will be doing it this Friday. No phone Friday, just because I'm a preacher and I love alliteration, all right? No phone Friday. I'm gonna go no phone all day Friday. And so just see what happens as a challenge. Have fun with it. But Jake, what if, I'm, what if this happens? What if that happens? Plenty of people around you with the phone, right? I stepped off. I didn't have my phone. It was the day I rolled my ankle at the, at the post office. Next person that drives to the post office will have a phone, right? Settle down, people, all right? <laughs> Okay, all right. Weird way to end a sermon, but that's it. The invitation today, guys, is you respond to it how you need to respond. 
You need more of God in your life. All of us need more God in your life. The ball is in your court. Let's stand together and let's sing.